Rumpelstiltskin always says that magic comes with a price. But for this price, you can get a nice piece of jewelry. Use code ONCEPOD for 10% off your first order at Unusual Magic Jewelry on Etsy. Click the link in the description. Hello, and welcome to the Once Again Podcast. We are your hosts, Ashley and Jason. In this episode, we'll be looking at the 1940 Walt Disney Studios film, Fantasia. This is the third episode in a new series from us, focusing on the animated movies owned by Disney. In this series, we won't be doing a deep analysis of each scene, but rather giving our impressions of the overall film and the songs from the film. We will also be giving a score to the film and ranking the songs. So grab some popcorn, sit back, and enjoy this episode. Fantasia is a 1940 American animated film produced by Walt Disney Productions and given a wide release by RKO Radio Pictures. With the story direction by Joe Grant and Dick Humer and production supervision by Ben Sharpstein, it is the third feature in the Disney animated canon. The film consists of eight animated segments set to pieces of classical music conducted by Leopold Stoutsky, seven of which are performed by the Philadelphia Orchestra. Music critic and composer Dean Taylors, who acts as the film's master of ceremonies, who introduces each segment in live action scenes. The film's credited story writers are Joe Grant and Dick Humer. It was directed by Samuel Armstrong, James Alger, Bill Roberts, Paul Shatterfield, Ben Sharpstein, David D. Hand, Hamilton Lusk, Jim Hadley, Ford Beebe, T. He, Norman Ferguson, Wilfred Jackson. And the film stars Leopold Stokowski, the conductor, and narrator Deems Taylor. The music is performed by the Philadelphia Orchestra. The film is produced by Ben Sharpstein and, of course, Walt Disney. Fantasia was released on November 13, 1940, with a simultaneous premiere across 13 different U.S. cities. It received a mixed critical reaction and was unable to make a profit, partially due to World War II cutting off the profitable European market, but also due to the film's high production cost. Audiences similarly had a mixed reaction, with some people claiming that Disney had gone to quote-unquote highbrow with this film and strayed away from his Disney cartoons. The film cost $2.28 million to produce, or roughly $44.5 million today, and earned between $76.4 and $88.3 million at the box office, or $1.5 to $1.7 billion today. However, the film has received multiple box office releases since its initial run, and when adjusted for inflation, Fantasia is the 24th highest grossing film of all time in the United States. Fantasia has grown popular among regular people and even has a cult following. It has been depicted in video games, Disney attractions, a live concert series, and a sequel, Fantasia 2000, 
was produced by Walt's nephew, Roy E. Disney, and released in 1991. So I found it interesting that uh, this was the first movie I watched on Disney Plus with a disclaimer about racist depictions. What I like about this disclaimer, by the way, is that you can't skip it. Yeah. Like, it, you have to acknowledge that it's there, basically. Yeah, I believe it's on the screen for 12 seconds, and it's, yeah. not, it's not skippable. I put the, what it says in here. I could read that if you want, or I could just say that I agree with it because they say rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact, learn from it, and spark a conversation to create a more inclusive future together. And I agree with that. Like, I think, you know, I grew up reading comics in the 90s and even 90s, 2000s, 2010s, there were horrible racist depictions in comic books, generally of Japanese people, because a lot of the people in charge of comics still held a grudge from World War II. So they would often depict Japanese people in very as racist caricatures. It's something that I don't think the comic book industry has really dealt with well, but I like seeing Disney here owning the fact of mistakes that they made and that, that it was unacceptable at the time, and it's even more unacceptable now, and that they're learning from it. I, I do like that. It, you know, I like, but I also like that they're not doing, which could be equally as damaging, as just like, well, we're just not going to put this on Disney+, Plus. we're never going to release this again, no one's ever going to see, because they could easily just erase this from yeah. their history as well, and... Agreed. You no, know, I think for things that are really bad, they have done that, and they should, but I you know, things like this, I think, are learning opportunities. And, you know, it's not all bad. So there's no reason to right. when it's, get rid when, of the whole thing. When it's propaganda, that's one thing that um, is being depicted. But when it's something that can still be as harmful, but it isn't celebrating racism, uh, yeah. you, should, you should have this message and have the conversation about it. So 100%. I agreed. So I have here that Fantasia opens up with the live action scenes of members of an orchestra gathering against a blue background and tuning their instruments in half light, half shadow. And the master of ceremonies, Deems Taylor, enters the stage, also in half light and half shadow, and introduces the program. And I paraphrased him here. He said, what we are going to see is the stories that music inspires into artists. We're not seeing like direct depictions of right. like, you know, especially in the case of like the Nutcracker Suite and that's, some of the other the segments, exact, like you're not yeah. seeing the exact story. It's very mm -hmm. much like whatever they felt like doing. And I think that's okay. Agreed. So the first segment is Toccata and Fugue in D minor by Johann Sebastian Bach. And there are live action shots of the orchestra illuminated in blue and gold backed by superimposed shadows that fade into abstract patterns, animated lines, shapes, and clouds, and cloud formations reflect the sound and rhythm of the music. I have a few notes here. I put that it's a thematic blending of music, silhouettes, shadow, and color. I greatly appreciate the music in this segment. It brings out an emotional response to me. 
There's tension, excitement, dread, and everything in between. And I was also very much impressed by the rolling hills segment where the red and purple hills were rolling like towards the audience. It was interesting in my opinion. And I tried to imagine what it actually took to animate that and aligning it with the music and time and everything. I do Uh, think this is also a good like introduction to what we're going to expect because this is the only one that's kind of abstract compared mm to what we see in the later segments. All the rest of them are much more animated storylines. There's characters, there's things. This is kind of a, we're kind of giving you a little taste of what to expect. We're animating colors and things to music. We're not really doing anything. Agreed. It's, it's almost like when you go to see a Broadway play and they play a little bit of each song at the beginning of the play before any of the actors come out or anything. Yeah. I also wrote down that I wanted to clap at the end of the segment because I thought it was so well done. And I give the segment a score of eight out of 10. I don't know if you, did you score each individual segment? No, or? but we can do it as I'm going. Honestly, see, I, while I appreciate the animation, I kind of get bored with things like this. Like it doesn't hold my attention as Trust hard. Me, so. the, the later segments get much harsher scores from me because and I had like, reached my limit. So I would probably say like a six out of 10 for me, not because. Okay. Just because, like, the music doesn't really do any, like, the music doesn't, it's not something iconic that I recognize as much as, like, other things. Johann Sebastian Bach is rolling over in his grave. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) How dare you? Bach, I don't hate you. I don't hate you. How dare you? This, it's, like, like I said, it's an introduction. It doesn't really do anything for me. Mm -hmm. Well, that brings us to our next segment and is called The Nutcracker Suite by Pitor, and I'm skipping his middle name because I can't say it, Chayofsky. The selections from the ballet suite underscore scenes depicting the changing of the seasons from summer to autumn to winter. There's a variety of dances that are present with fairies, fish, flowers, mushrooms, and leaves, including Dance of the Sugar Plum Fairy, Chinese Dance, Arabian Dance, Russian Dance, Dance of the Flutes, and Waltz of the Flowers. And I said uh, in my notes here, this is possibly the most famous music in the film overall. I think it is, to be honest. I think this is the kind of music you recognize immediately when you see it. You might not know what it's called, but you know you've heard it before. Yeah, the Sugar Plum Fairies, of course, brings Christmas to everyone's mind. I mean, the Nutcracker in general brings Christmas to everyone's mind, but that, that particular... The bells, like the do, 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 yeah. do, do, like that. You know, it's interesting too. I just thought all this music is in the public domain. So if I, if, if I can find a way of getting it, maybe I'll put a little background music on, on this episode, but most likely not. I wrote again, I am shocked at how well the animation is in, is in sync with the music. Today, this would be standard, but it had to be revolutionary in 1940. And I know that Steamboat Willie came out in 1928, but compared to this, it's so much more advanced than Steamboat Willie was. I know that blew people's mind because they were like, oh my, the mouse is whistling like in time with the animation. But like, this is just so much more advanced and high technique than than that. It's also very, it's patterns, you know, Mm -hmm. it's it's a lot. You're right. Mm -hmm. My next note is about the dancing mushrooms. And here we go. 
racist depictions of Chinese people. You know what? I'm glad it's wasn't that long on screen like this yeah. is very quick even within this segment it kind of right uh, i'm not going to go into why uh they were racist depictions everyone can watch it for themselves and see that but just the first one that just uh not not great my next note is on the underwater segment and in particular the backgrounds they looked very similar to the little mermaids backgrounds to me and I wonder if the animators on that film were inspired by this or if they were directed to keep it looking the same. I imagine they were probably inspired. Like, mm. there's quite a bit of time in between the two movies, so. Mm. The next part, the Russian dance. I wrote, would the dancing flowers be considered racist? And I wrote, no, it, just because of their clothing, they aren't depicting Russian people as caricatures. Like, the, the petals no, on No, they them. aren't, so. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fairies in the dance of the flutes and the waltz of the flowers. I wrote that they do look very similar to Tinkerbell, but they are not as thick. <laughs> well, you have to well, imagine too, we're like probably f- what, 10 years out from Peter Pan? Somewhere around there. And movies take a long time to animate. Like yeah. these things don't animate overnight, they take two to three years. My dad notoriously always talks about the fact that they were talking about previews for Pocahontas and talking about Pocahontas like five years before Pocahontas even came out. Like, oh, yeah. that's I know the Minions, they were floating around Hollywood for like 50 years. Like it was like an idea to have these Minions be a thing for a long time before anyone came up with the Despicable Me movie. And then they were like, oh, stick the Minions in that. But that was my first joke that fell completely flat. I was talking about how the the fairies are not as thick as Tinkerbell. And I thought I might get a laugh out of you, but nope. You didn't. Nope, not at all. The next part I I wrote that the segment score, I gave it a 6 out of 10 overall. The animation is beautiful. The music is great. But the segment is slightly long and a little boring. I agree with that. I I think it's just because it's long. Like, I think if you cut like half of the segment like Mm. you get a nice short chunk also because like this is it's the longest segment and this is a very long movie Mm -hmm. for what it is with no real words no acting really it's just music it's lengthy i forget the actual time period that he wanted but i i believe walt disney wanted the idea of fantasia to be a continual thing Like he wanted, I forget whether it was every year or every five years or every 10 years, he wanted to do, he wanted to have another Fantasia movie come out with new animation done to classical music. It would be interesting if that had happened. It didn't. We only have the one sequel, which, oh boy, we'll get to that when we get to it. (laughs) But but, uh, but listen, comparatively, this movie is to the moon much better, but. Let's move on to the next segment. So we have here probably the most famous segment from the film, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Oh, without a doubt. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Uh, I have notes here that it's by Paul Dukas, and it's based on Goath's 1797 poem, and here we go with my pronunciation of things, Der Zerbenlichen. I believe it's German, so I apologize to any German listeners if I said anything. Zauberlehring? 
Saber Laring. Okay. Laring. Well, something I'm gonna, like that. I'm going to apologize to any German listeners if either one of us said anything offensive. But the story is Mickey Mouse as the young apprentice of sorcerer Yen Sid, and he attempts some of his master's magic, but doesn't know how to control it. And I wrote in my notes, it's obviously the most recognizable segment of Fantasia. I bet most people think of this when they think of Fantasia. It works as Mickey Mouse, but we know it was originally supposed to be Dopey. And who do you think would have been better in this scene? Uh, Mickey Mouse. And actually, uh, you know, I actually was reading up about this. The thing about this segment is this is the only segment that the music was made after the animation. The music is specifically made for this animation in particular. That's why it's not, you know, you're not getting like a, oh, by Bach or anything, because this music was designed specifically for this and this was actually a way to bring mickey mouse back into the ethos basically because he had fallen off in popularity and they wanted to bring him back to popularity and this was their way of doing it by putting him in this segment that we see right now well if that was the plan it worked very well then oh yeah this is definitely i think this is in some ways more iconic than steamboat willie so Mm. oh definitely the sorcerer's hat was the icon of Hollywood studios at Walt Disney world for a while. Like it's definitely, it's there. Yeah. I put in my notes about the sorcerer's hat for our once upon a time fans. This is where it comes from the sorcerer, his apprentice, and we'll get to that later in the series, but just nice to see it here. And I wrote down that the music and animation paired perfectly and it was highly entertaining it's fascinating to find out that they did the animation first and then found the music for it but i gave this segment a nine out of ten yeah i agree nine out of ten i love in the next little part mickey shows up to congratulate the conductor and the comedy of the orchestra members knocking over their instruments yeah it's i i do like that like they do try to go back to the fact that like we're watching an actual orchestra and like things aren't perfect and no there's mickey mouse just here to interact a little bit yeah agreed so the next part is rite of spring by igor by igor straninsky stranovisky 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 uh whatever it is by igor something (laughs) And it is a visual history of the Earth's beginning depicted to select sections of the ballet score. The sequence progresses from the planet's formation to the first living creatures, followed by the rain and extinction of the dinosaurs. And I wrote that it has a fair pairing of music and animation, but the segment goes on for far too long, in my opinion. Also, now we know that the T-Rex were, uh, that T-Rexes were scavengers and not predators. And I also felt very sad watching the depiction of the di- of the dinosaurs dying off. I agree with you that like this was too long. I feel like a lot of the segments are plagued by the fact that they're just long, mm-hmm. like irrationally long. And I get that the music, the music came first in most instances, and the animation was after, so they're just animating to the music. But oh boy, are a lot of these long when they don't need to be, and. Again, I did some research on this. So uh, there's actually, this was supposed to show like evolution as in human evolution. Mm. And for obvious reasons, I think we can understand why they couldn't do that and show that, portray that on screen. You know, they couldn't show that apes turning into humans. They could not 
do that. I, I, especially, I especially don't think I would want them at the time, given what they decide to draw people uh, looking like. Um, oh, yeah, 100 yeah. percent. But that was the original portrayal of this. And mm. it yeah, got changed they kind to of, dinosaurs and they decided to scrap that for, mm. you know, it, it's interesting too. I'll, I'll address it later, but um, I think another segment in this film is a response to this segment exactly. And with what it was originally supposed to be, as you're telling me, I think that even more now, but I give this segment a five out of 10. Like I said, fair pairing of music and animation, but far too long of a segment. I would do the same thing, like four, ten, four out of 10, five out of 10. Like it's mm. not particularly good. The animation's okay, but I'm not like, it's not as pretty as some of the other sections. Agreed. So the next segment is the intermission slash meet the soundtrack and the orchestra musicians depart and the Fantasia title card is revealed. After the intermission, there's a brief jam session of jazz music uh, led by a clarinist as the orchestra members return. Then a humorously styled uh, demonstration of how sound is rendered on film is shown. The animated soundtrack character, initially a straight white line, changes into different shapes and colors based on the sounds played. And I wrote here that this gave me very old school Disney vibes, like seeing the sound waves and the colors. It reminded me yeah. of uh, the Figment's interactive ride at Epcot back in the day. Uh, where like you would like put your hands over different instruments and it would make the music and everything. That's still there. Yeah. Oh, they brought it. I thought I thought it got replaced by some. No, they brought it uh, back. No, that's it's not. That's not the original. It's not the original Figment ride, but that is still in the interactive section. So it's still there. You oh. can still. I I did it on my last trip, so I could I could promise you it's there. I did think I did really like the idea of them animating a character called the soundtrack like you're right the soundtrack is important he's a good important character you're right that's fair enough but i gave this segment a four out of ten it's neat but un but uninteresting by today's standards five out of ten i like the idea of the soundtrack all right so next we have the pastoral symphony by ludwig van beethoven and thank you and this is a uh, for those of you who are not subscribed to our $9 Patreon tier, you're missing out on all my terrible pronunciations and ums and everything. You you got to sign up and hear them. They're hilarious. The mythical Greco-Roman world of colorful centaurs and centaurettes, cupids, fauns, and other figures from classical mythology is portrayed to Beethoven's music. A gathering for a festival to honor Bacchus, the god of wine, is interrupted by Zeus, who creates a storm and directs Vulcan to forge lightning bolts for him to throw at the attendees. So my first note is a visually stunning segment, but again, it goes on for far too long. I also put, I found it interesting that the female centers are drawn with breasts, but no nipples while bathing. Yet when they are out of the river, they cover themselves. They very much did not want the animators to like just show boobs. Like that okay. was something that was flagged right away. That's actually why they had to cover up. 
Okay. Because like they animated they, originally that was not in the plan. That wasn't in like I guess the basic drawings like the first round. They did have to fix that. Hmm. But they still like I don't know. I guess the shape of a breast isn't offensive, but a nipple is. It's just it's just strange to me because they're topless bathing in the water. And uh, clearly this was drawn by the horny animators at Disney at the time, in my opinion, just from the way that they they shaped the horse's asses and everything. I was like, oh, OK, here we go with yeah, horny this Disney. Is a very sexual like. Yeah. Depiction of a lot of things in this section. Yeah. I also wrote the do you think the depressed blue male and female centaurs were Eeyore's parents? Well, we got to laugh, but she's covering it up. <laughs> oh, God. Because there's a, a depressed-looking female centaur and a depressed-looking male centaur. They, they're both blue. And then, you know, they're guided to each other by the, the cupids. You know what? Canonically, I'll accept it. Sure. Okay. I put down Bacchus is riding a unicorn donkey thing. What do you think that would be called? A, a unikey? I have no idea. I don't know cute and adorable he is he is very cute and then uh, i also put down that zeus actually doesn't look too far off from 1997's hercules except that he's all blue and also this is to my mind the most accurate depiction of zeus in modern pop culture it's like oh these people are having fun well i guess i better ruin it for them like, he's also very like Shonen's like I'm bored let me just uh ruin their fun I need something to do and then he just passes out in a cloud like that's eh, that, I'm that's, done. that's Zeus if you read Greek mythology yeah. like Zeus never wants anyone to have any fun besides himself occasionally Hercules like occasionally one of his kids he's okay with but if they were going to get it a hundred percent right he would have also <laughs> one of the female centaurs or, or somebody there and then that would 100% be Zeus because Zeus wants no one else to have fun besides him and he wants to sleep with all the women. That's that's Zeus. But every time I see him in pop culture, it's, oh, he's wise and uh, the most powerful. No, no, he's not these things. He's the most selfish of all the gods. You know, I, I will say about the scene too, like this overall section, I do like a lot of the way things are animated and colored and drawn here. I just, hmm. at the same time, other things just make me like, because uh, they had like a slight, like a, a slight monochromatic color to all the characters. Yeah, and I then guess. like, what was up with the black Pegasi at the end of that segment, looking so damn sad? Like, yeah, you had taken his family away when they were literally on the leaf below him sleeping. Yeah, I I don't know, but I wrote that the segment gets a score of five out of ten. Very well done, but it goes on for far too long. I'd probably go with like a five or a six out of 10. I do. I like this second segment. It does. It feels like it goes on too long, but it does feel like it's different segments within a segment sometimes. So mm-hmm. like I can let it go. I think what goes on too long is Zeus messing with everybody. Like give right. me the party section. That was a fun section. I agree. So the next segment is called Dance of the Hours by Hamilcar Pincelli. Ponchelli, one of those two. I'll figure it out. And it is a comic ballet in four sections. Madame Apanova and her ostriches represent mourning. Hyacinth Hippo 
and her servants represent the afternoon. Elephantine and her bubble-blowing elephant troop represent evening. And then Ben Alligator, thank you for that name, Ben, and his troop of alligators represent night. Uh, the finale finds all the characters dancing together until their palace collapses. And I put in this again, very famous musical score. I find it interesting that the alligators are the violent and evil ones when in real life, hippos are far more violent and aggressive than alligators. I think I've criticized hippos a number of times on this podcast, but (laughs) I'll I'll never be able to criticize them enough. I mean, if it helps, uh, my grandfather used to work at a zoo and he did take care of hippos, elephants, and bison. And he would not go anywhere near the bison or the hippos because mm. they're both aggressive animals. Yeah. You do not go near them. Elephants are cool, though. Don't go into the cage with the other two. Speaking of aggressive animals, and this is going to be probably a short, I'll probably cut this, but speaking of aggressive animals, the other day I was driving home. It was late at night. And what do I see across the road but a wolverine? Now, I live in Pennsylvania where supposedly wolverines have gone extinct because we hunted them to extinction. But I saw one cross the road. I went online to look. I've never seen a wolverine in real life. I've only seen them in like animal documentaries. But I went online to see if, you know, wolverines live in Pennsylvania now. And I found this thread of people claiming that they have seen wolverines in Pennsylvania. But then the game commission was saying, no, you're mistaking them for large badgers. And people were posting pictures of the Wolverine saying, this is not a large badger. Like they have different colorings and everything like that. But so if you live in Northeastern Pennsylvania, stay safe out there. <laughs> like there, there's Wolverines coming Wolverines around. Wolverines are coming for you and the game commission does not care. Yeah, they, they are extremely aggressive creatures. And the they government will, doesn't believe in your Wolverines. No, they, they will kill your pets. They will bite you if they can. Like they, they'll go after your feet. I mean, they're, they're not very large, but they're annoying and they can, they can do some damage. So just stay safe, people. Uh, You know, what I will say about going back to the dance of the hours, this for me, besides like the Sorcerer's Apprentice and the last one we get to, this is also one of the things that I think about when I think. Oh yeah. Fantasia. I think of the alligators walking around held in the hippo. Like Mm -hmm. I think of that. That's what I think of. Agreed. I put that this segment is a five out of 10. It's fine. And if it had been earlier, I probably would have given it a higher score, but I found myself bored during most of this. I would give it a six out of 10, but I I get your point because I think this section is better than a lot of the other sections, but because we've gotten so far now and all the other sections are so long, it's like, oh, come on. Are we almost done with this movie? Yeah. Yeah. And the final segment is Night on Bald Mountain by Moriskowski and Ave Maria by Franz Schubert. And in this segment at midnight, the devil Chernabog awakens and summons evil spirits and restless souls from their graves to Bald Mountain. The spirits dance and fly through the air until driven back by the sound of an angelus bell as night fades into dawn. A chorus is heard singing Ave Maria as a line of robed monks is depicted walking with lighted torches through a forest and into the ruins of a cathedral. 
I wrote in my notes, second most famous segment from the film. It's got to be, right? Everyone yeah. thinks of this. And that is something that is very different from everything that came before. A very dark and creepy. And Chernabog always terrified me as a child. He terrified me in Kingdom Hearts, the video game, when he showed up in there. It's so fascinating, too, because I feel like he's a character that, like, a lot of people know who he is. They might not know his name, but, like, they know him on site. But I'm not sure people always know where he comes from, that, like, he's from this movie. Because mm-hmm. I think he's just kind of figure in the Disney, like, mythos itself. You can be like, oh, yeah, that's that thing from Disney. But I don't think you necessarily have to know where it came from to know, like, what Chernabog, like, who Chernabog is. Mm-hmm. See, for me, in my mind, he's always paired with the music. I don't know, maybe maybe for other people it's different, but I also put that the skeletons were drawn very well here. I've heard from numerous artists how difficult it is to draw a skeleton, and like as they were rising out of the graves, I was like, no, that, that looks like a skeleton. That's really well done. The whole atmosphere of the segment is done perfectly, and I feel like this segment was done because of the Rite of Spring segment. Like They were like, oh, hey, we have this part based on science and how the world was actually created. So let's have a semi-religious part two. And with your information about how it was supposed to be about evolution, or that, that segment was originally supposed to be about the evolution of man. I'm like, yeah, even more so. I feel like this was put in here because of that. Yeah, that would make sense. And I give this segment an eight out of 10. That, and I wrote that it gives the viewer the feelings it's supposed to. Personally, I, I enjoy the song Ave Maria, but I didn't like it here. Uh, I've heard yeah I don't I feel like you almost just want the end to like almost like just deal with all the music we've had already and like Mm -hmm. fade into black basically instead of what they did here instead it's like a did we need this well even uh, like if you hear one singer singing it on their own it's different than having this chorus singing it and they're kind of echoing each other and everything I didn't like the depiction of it here but I do enjoy the song on its own so Overall, I gave the film a 6.5 out of 10. And it's funny, I did the math of all my different segments added up together, and it was 6.375. And I was like, eh, give it a (laughs) 6.5. At the time of its release, it was a wonderment and a masterpiece. However, I found myself bored throughout a lot of it. And while I can still appreciate it, Fantasia is not one of my go-to Disney films. It's something I would definitely skip through to get to my favorite parts. Okay, I would give it like a six out of 10. And this is where I would like to formally apologize to my father for making him watch this movie so much as a kid. I get it. I get it now, dad. You didn't want to watch this. I don't want to watch this again for a very long time. <laughs> well, we, we apologize to Ashley's father. Um, anything else you'd like to say about this? Or should we get uh, to the no. ring? No, okay. like it, it, the animation was good. It was an okay film. But again, I think I think it's because it goes on too long. Like, My dad, like I said, I hear my dad being like, no, that movie's too long. We're not going to watch that. And like, no, I agree now. I very much agree. It is way too long of a film for what Hmm. it is. Did you watch it in whole or did you skip parts? I watched it in whole for the most part. I kind of. Your poor father. (laughs) All right, let's let's, let's get to the ranking. Hold on. Jason, we used to watch that on Laserdisc. FYI. Why? I didn't even know that people actually had laser discs. I, I remember being in school 
and occasionally the teacher, usually the science teacher, would pull out a laser, a laser disc to watch something. But uh, I know we had a laser disc mm-hmm. uh, player. My dad still has it. It doesn't work. We do have still have our laser disc. Uh, the only movies we had for me on laser disc were Fantasia and Toy Story. So you can imagine my choices. Yeah. So he, he spent... uh, no, I actually remember we actually like a blockbuster. We had like a laserdisc rental store that existed oh, wow. in our town. Like, welcome to middle class Long Island white America in the like nineties. Fair enough. <laughs> All right, I'm going to discuss the ranking of the segments. Uh, I just went by their scores and where they were tied score. I just picked between the two of what my favorites were. Alrighty. So I have the Sorcerer's Apprentice as number one. Night on Bald Mountain as number two. Tokata, uh, what is it? Tokata and Fugue in D minor is number three. The Nutcracker Suite as number four. The Pastoral Symphony is number five. The Rite of Spring is number six. The Dance of the Hours is number seven. And then Intermission slash Meet the Soundtrack is number eight. Oh man, we're like opposite here. Almost. Oh, all right, let's hear it. All right. I have Sorcerer's Apprentice top because you can't, like, you can't put anything else top. Uh, then I have Dance of the Hours, then Night on Bald Mountain, then Pastoral Symphony, mm. then the Nutcracker Suite, Rite of Spring, and then Toccata and Fugue in D minor and Intermission. Okay. Well, you know, there were some that were along the same lines. We had a, we had a few that were in different spots, but it, it all comes down to subjective opinion, except I'm right but uh, that's uh, rude of you (laughs) no i'm kidding of course but if you the listener have a different ranking hey tell us in the comments go right ahead or send us an email or tweet at us or whatever you know slide into those dms on instagram whatever you feel like doing let us know and then where would you put this movie in with the other movies that we've seen so far so for me oddly enough the ranking goes how the films were released i have Snow White as number one, Pinocchio as number two, and Fantasia as number three. For me, I have Pinocchio, Snow White, and then Fantasia. Okay. Anything else you'd like to say about this before we go? Or No, I think we're good. All right. Well, this has been the Once Again Podcast. Any questions, comments, or critiques can be addressed to either our email, onceagainpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter at onceagainpod. We also have an Instagram account, Once Again Pod. We will be posting questions and possibly doing some live Q&As on there. If you would like to contribute to the podcast, we have several tiers available on patreon.com slash onceagainpod. As always, a like, follow, or share would be greatly appreciated. Thank you and have a wonderful day.